The planet is heating up. The oceans are becoming filled with plastic. Change starts now. Change starts now. We're on a countdown to zero waste. Five, four, three, two, one. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast. Here's your host, Laura Nash. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Zero Waste Countdown podcast and radio show. Today, we're speaking with Betsy Rosenberg. She's the host and producer of Eco Talk Radio, and she's been doing environmental communications for a very long time. So, Betsy, thank you so much for coming on the show. Welcome. Thank you. Great to be here, and thank you for the show you're doing. Awesome. Okay, cool. Well, I want to start out. Um, can you just tell us all about Eco Talk Radio? Yes. Now, I, for, I do need to correct the fact that I've not. I'm not in production currently. I started, as you said, a long time ago. I can uh, tell the story if there is time. But um, that was about, uh, that interview you heard with Bernie Sanders was probably about 12 years old. Um, I was very early on in this. I did 10 years worth of green interviews on actually a couple of different shows. It was called Eco Talk when it was on a network that's no longer around. It was the, quote, liberal network, Air America. That was between 2004 and 2007. Unfortunately, being liberals, they didn't manage their money very well and they went bankrupt. So I went on to the internet and I did a show, same show, just a different platform. And I called it The Green Front. And originally, prior to EcoTalk, starting on Earth Day 1997, yeah, going back to last century, that's me. <laughs> but I, I, it never gets old for me. I started these Green Minutes, which was all about reduce, reuse, recycle, and rot. And I tell people, and I would love to tell you, that a mere month after that, so we're talking May 1997, I went to my first zero-waste conference. And that was enlightening, and it was an eco-epiphany, and I never look back. I thought if there's a if there's a conference called Zero Waste and we are so wasteful here in America for sure and you know we we have such a long way to go then I'll never run out of material and and I haven't as you know. <laughs> so I found that as well uh, that the topics are just so limitless because I tried to start out a list. Okay, zero waste is a very niche topic and I just kept going and going and going with people to interview and topics and everything. It's it's very encouraging uh, how many people are talking about this sort of thing. Uh, I think we have a, a long way to go, of course. Um, but but I, I know you said that waste prevention was like your gateway. Into, <laughs> My gateway drug, I say. Yes, that's what yeah, <laughs> Into environmental news. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Because that's pretty cool. Where it started. Yeah. And by the way, you said yeah. zero waste is in each subject area. It is, but it applies to everybody. It's like when, when I first yeah. started doing my green minutes, my news director said, well, you know, you don't have to call in from the zero waste conference as if you're, you know, at a big, you know, general conference, you know, with like political news and important stuff. And I said, well, this is kind of hot off the press. So I always treated it. And that was part of my message that I hope would get across that this is news. So good for you for recognizing that. And I guarantee you, um, 23 years into this, you will never run out of material. I went from zero waste to zero emissions from garbage to global warming. And have not looked back. But are you asking me how I got this way? <laughs> why do I care? Yeah, absolutely. I love to hear why people care. That's that's a very good way of putting it. I, I, yeah, I used to ask people who are on my show, you know, what was your eco epiphany? And for a while, I was working on transcribing those interviews and was going to do a book, but got busy with other things. But it is fascinating. You're right. Because in every person's story, we're not born, you know, to be environmentalists, um, unfortunately, you know, something happened, right? Either in our upbringing or an experience. 
And for me, it was, I say it was a gene that I inherited. So just contradicted myself, but my parents weren't necessarily, you know, eco-conscious and uh, it was a green gene. How do I know I have that? Because or sometimes I say the extra W chromosome for waste prevention that when I was in elementary school, <clears throat> going way back to third grade or so, I remember being viscerally, and maybe you can relate to this, viscerally upset when I would see my fellow students, kids, mind you, <laughs> throwing away often their lunches, their whole sandwich, you know, in a baggie or whatever we used back then, tossed. Mm-hmm. And I just, I felt sad, partly for their moms who had probably lovingly or if not hurriedly made their lunches. And they probably didn't even know that the kid wasn't eating it. But I also felt sad just on an intuitive level. I knew it was not okay to waste food. So call me crazy. It turns out I I am compared to most people. But I wish everybody had our, I call it the environmental illness. Yeah, you know, when I was younger, it was all about eat your veggies. There are people starving in the world. Um, Yes. And I remember, you know, having to go through that and eating veggies I really didn't like. And I like them all now. Uh, if you're listening and you don't like veggies, I think you can, you like, you might one day. It's weird. I didn't start liking beets until I was 30, I think. That's funny. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't like eating meat. I had to sit at my, you know, oh, in my wow. chair, finish my meat. Not crazy about meat still, but there's a lot of reasons to not be eating meat. Yeah. With the environment. Yeah. Are you vegetarian now? I'm not. I'm mostly a pescatarian. Um, I do, I do eat some meat, so I don't want to say I'm, you know, not, but I, I would, if my husband, and family didn't want to eat it. I I could do very well without it. We do get beyond beef now in, instead of burgers usually. And if it, I don't think I can give up fish, but um, we may have to because we may use it all up by the time my daughter is grown up and has kids, which is very sad. But I do crave some kind of animal protein, I guess. But fish to me still seems cleaner. And now, especially with these um, meat packing companies, these places are just you know ripe for this contagion, um, this infectious virus called COVID. So it kind of, it's a turnoff, isn't it? Thinking about meat and people getting sick and dying who work at meat plants, not to mention, you know, the animals getting slaughtered. So I'm, I'm digressing, but <laughs> there, that's easy to do when you get two people who are passionate about, about waste, but it is all connected. It's about just being conscious and being, I, I say, put on the green glasses and look for ways that you can conserve because our kids are going to suffer from our waste. You know, it's just, it's the, it's the mindless stuff that bothers me. It has been a long and lonely and expensive endeavor trying to get back on a mainstream platform. My background is CBS radio. I left to cover environmental news and have been trying to transition to television. And it seems to be mission impossible, but I, I'm a woman on emission, so I haven't given up quite yet. Yeah, I, I struggle with the same thing. It's not easy to make money doing this, but it's so important. And I think communication is key and what a lot of people are missing because like you say a lot of people just don't know that their everyday habits yes exactly causing so much damage and so if we can just get that message out in a positive way but like how do we do that and how do we pay for it it's certainly tough our government has a lot of like good environmental climate action grants and stuff but i've never got one so i'm still working on that and i hope i get one one day are there any for media and education because there were not when i was doing this the good news now laura there are sponsors when i was doing it there were like three green companies patagonia um, Tom's of Maine, you know, Cliff Bar, that was it. And now there's so many, think about the solar panel companies, electric car, hybrid car manufacturers. So the sponsors are there now. That's the good news. Um, I've been trying to get back on a, you know, net news network platform because that's where there's a very still millions of people get their news from 
television and radio, mostly television. And that's where you get the broadest, you know, sweep of sort of mainstream Americans, people who may, some may be concerned, but don't know what to do. Some may be never thought about it. And that's where we've got to move the needle, not just talking to the choir, God love the choir. But that's, that's been my problem with just doing it online. Um, but that may be where I end up because I, I got to, girls got to talk about this stuff. And if I don't break through the green ceiling, as I call it, twice as thick as the glass ceiling, I'll go online. But then you tend to get, you know, people who already are concerned. And as I said, thank goodness for them, for us. But, you know, the best thing is to reach people who can really change their habits and their consciousness by based on what they've heard. And I have met people from around the world, a couple of people who actually said my show changed their life. And that made it worth it, even if I never got paid for it. <laughs> Oh, that's so nice. That's really good. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. Um, maybe the people who are watching TV are the people we kind of need to get the message to most because I don't know if you're listening right now and if you even watch TV because um, I don't subscribe to like a cable network or anything and I haven't in years and years. Like I kind of get everything online and I pay for like, you know, I pay for the Disney app and, and stuff like that. Are you a millennial? I, I am, but I'm like an elder millennial, so I'm like the oldest. Okay, and I'm a, I'm a baby boomer, right smack dab in the middle. And I have a daughter who's a millennial, and I really want to reach the boomers, my fellow generation, yeah. my, my generation, fellow boomers, because, you know, we're starting to, re- not me, but some are starting to retire, some have grandchildren. We supposedly have more time and, and resources to devote to this, to turn the ship around so we can hand something over to our kids that's sustainable. And who who is talking to this age group, you know, like 40 and above? So that's probably made it harder for me, but it's also, to me, more interesting. Oh, I love that. You're right, because they often are retired. And a lot of them, well, in Canada, at least a lot of us uh, that are that age have pensions, right? And so it's easier for that age demographic to volunteer. Exactly, exactly. And you know, some people are working part time, but that's a stage in life, I'm talking mostly 60 and above, where you, you know, should have more time and and hopefully save some money, and should have, most importantly, last but not least, some thoughts about what we're leaving behind, our legacy. And I feel so fortunate to have been, you know, born in this sweet spot after World War II. um, But before things started falling apart, as it seems like they are now ecosystem wise and democracy wise. And I just feel we owe that to our kids and grandkids and whoever comes after that, uh, to do the best we can. And we're so not doing everything we can. Yeah, I'm just thinking of like, remember, like London, England, during what was it the late 1800s when they had that whole coal phase and like not that old Laura well well (laughs) me neither but you know historically we can remember just teasing us out yeah um there was like like I watched that show The Crown about the Queen of England and like Churchill and I remember there was a fog episode five he's totally binge watching (laughs) loves it oh have you seen the episode about the fog there was like a coal fog that hung over London and was like that is so funny. I'm going to interrupt you because I had it. I said, "I'm honey. I'm focused on the future. You, you be the history buff in the family." So he had it on, but we have sort of one big great room, and my ears perked up because they said they're talking about coal emissions back in, yeah. in that era, last century, and I'm, I, I was shocked. I thought, "Oh my god!" So this all started, you know, before I was born. What makes me think I can make a difference before I die? But of course, you know, it has been around for a long time. Pollution and you know, connection to health. It's pretty, but of course, we've grown as we have also grown in awareness. 
Sorry, didn't mean to jump in, but it's just it, this was two nights ago. So funny you mentioned that. Yeah, it is important. I I like to read about history and learn about it because I feel like then maybe we won't we won't repeat our mistakes going forward. And uh, you know, people have been people for a very long time. And what fascinates me is people have been zero waste for like a hundred thousand years, and then all of a sudden, in the last a hundred, we've just become so crazy with pollution and garbage and all this stuff like it's just nuts <laughs> you know what i always said and i'm sure you do too convenience clashes with conservation and we've gotten especially in the united oh, yeah. states we've got so into you know um, consuming and convenience and what does that do to conservation you know look look around and between plastic pollution particulate pollution you know greenhouse gas emissions um you know extinction there's just so many huge interconnected issues, as you well know, that this should be on round the clock. You know, I, I would love to start a, a GNN, a Green News Network, because there is so much. We could do so much better. Yeah. So you you got to interview Bernie Sanders, you said, about 12 years ago? Yes. Um, that was during my show on Air America. So it was sometime between 2004 and 2007, probably around 2005. So actually more like 15 years ago. All those um, on the front um, page of my website at BetsyRosenberg.com. I always forget to mention it. So I just thought I would. All those interviews were done back, you know, 2005, 2006. And I'm proud that I was, you know, so early on, but I've got hundreds of shows archived there for your listeners if they're interested in any green topic, A to Z because so much of it is still news to so many people. And so it holds up. But thank you for listening. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. And you had, uh, oh, what's the guy that did the Inconvenient Truth? Al Gore. Um, Al Gore, yeah. Um, <laughs> That's funny. I was just on a webinar with him right before this. He was doing a COVID climate change uh, town hall right before I came on here. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's amazing! And I think that's we're it. Sisters, we must be. <laughs> wow, that's really cool. Um, are there any other like big names that like me and my listeners would kind of recognize? Oh, sure. Um, especially in the states, but probably worldwide. John Kerry, who's been a big climate hawk, was on my yep. program. Um, Barbara Boxer, quite a few times. Uh, David Suzuki, my hero. Ooh. I love David Suzuki more than I love Al Gore. I, he was he was one of my favorite guests, and you can find it if you just go to archives, go to the broadcast drop down, and put his, anyone's name in. You'll probably find them. And he his was one of my favorite interviews. I just love the way he speaks, the way he gets it. Uh, let's see, I digress. So um, Bill McKibben many times, uh, William McDonough, Bill McDonough. Uh, Paul Hawken, really, truly, all the big, you know, eco leaders, the A listers, because nobody was at was was interviewing them back then, you know, so much. So they were always happy to come on the show. But my kind of green programming, and perhaps yours, has always been focused on solutions. What can we do about it? And the reason it's not gloomy and doomy, even though yes, some of the statistics and trends are very concerning, um, could be cause for despair. But you get rid of the despair when you get into action. And so every every expert I had on, I'd say at the end of the you know interview, what can we do? What can people do? And that's empowering. And they're so excited to share their knowledge, you know, and their experience, their expertise. So it's really the best kept secret that green programming um, is is like the last missing piece of the puzzle. I swear it is, and clearly you agree. Wow, that's really good to hear. I love it. There's a lot of negativity in the main press, I find, and. I'm like you, I want to be positive and give encouragement. And I will say that it feels so good to 
just remember to bring your reusable mug, you know, or your water bottle. Or if you're listening and you've ever left your house and then you have that, oh no, I forgot my water bottle or something and you go back and get it. Like it feels good because you know you're actively doing something that's it has an impact, right? So I love that a lot better because with climate change, I mean, they're all related, but especially in Canada, our, our places are so spread out that most people do need cars. Like, I think our transportation, our public transportation could be better. We have it in our big cities, but for the most part, like people still have to get to work. And so I think maybe they feel a bit guilty when they hear like, you know, cars are evil and bad and, you know, you're a bad person for driving and, and, I think people tune out when they hear that because it makes them feel bad and there's maybe nothing they can do depending on their economic circumstance or their where they live or whatever. Um, but, you know, they can bring their water bottle and their coffee mug and they can bring their cloth bags and they can make sustainable choices and, every day when and, they buy their, their food, right? And yes. And if they need a car, next time they're in the market, look for the most fuel efficient vehicle you can find. You know, Hondas make great, super, you know, efficient vehicles. And mm -hmm. you know, I've been driving a hybrid. I drove a Prius since 2002, not the same one. I would oh, good. I was leasing it. So whenever the new technology came out, like when they got plugins, I would switch to that. And it does really, it really does make a difference. So there's things everybody can do. Can I give you my pet peeve, my favorite waste prevention thing? And it's a small one, but it bugs me so much when I see perfectly good napkins made from trees thrown out untouched unused like if, oh my gosh if you're at a mall not that I do that often but you know food court especially that kind of setting or drive through again which I pretty much only do when we're on long road trips but they give you they'll just throw in mindlessly 10 sometimes more napkins and let's mm -hmm. say you need two unless it's a really messy whatever um sandwich but I do napkin intervention. So if I am leaving a restaurant or something and I see like a stack untouched, I, I just grab them because I, I bet that the bus person is going to throw them away. And not only are those trees that we need to suck up carbon dioxide and give shade, but you know, white napkins anyway use chlorine bleach and, and dioxin is a byproduct of that, which is a carcinogen. So if people could really understand that, you know, it's more than just a napkin, it's the whole upcycle process. And, and inevitably I, my dog was put down last year, but you know, I'd have napkins oh, in my purse just in case I forgot a doggy bag, you know, we were out for a walk mm -hmm. or I'd be in the car and I'd sneeze. Oh good. I've got those napkins in my purse. So if, if I leave you with nothing else, maybe your listeners will next time they see a stack of napkins that are destined for the landfill, they'll grab them. And, and, and one other thing, when I have spoken up each and every time, 100% of the time when I've seen wasteful practices, I have gotten a thank you. I, you know, I just didn't think about that or it's, it's the way we've always done it. I don't know why we have the fireplace burning in July in New York in the, in our hotel lounge, but I'll, I'll find out. And sure enough, they turned it off. Nobody complained. I don't know why we have the hallways in our hotel, like a freezer temperature, you know, in the <laughs> middle, middle of, um, whatever spring, it yeah. was actually. those kinds of things. And when you speak up, you know, respectfully and just point out that, you know, we're, we have a climate crisis and you could save money and save emissions if you would. And, Again, I've been doing this a long time. You can imagine, right? Um, 100 percent of the time, I've gotten a thank you. Oh, that's good. That's very good. Yeah, I to do the same. You know, be ambassadors for zero waste. Yeah, the climate control indoors is interesting because I've worked a cubicle job for the government, and oh my gosh, was it so cold in the summer? Like unnecessarily so. You know, like it was just so freezing in there. It was colder in the building in summer than it was in winter. Oh, so crazy. <laughs> It's funny, you can Google this this article if you're listening, but 
the climate control in offices is like made for men more because yep. I read that article. Comes- I read that article. Oh, have you? <laughs> yes, it's great. Yeah, but why do men always get accommodated? You know, especially when it's wasteful practices. And you know, if I could put, I look at. I used to live in the Bay Area, and the Bay Breeze was our air conditioning. I now live in Austin, Texas, mm-hmm. where they have you know really hot summers, getting hotter every year. And, you know, you need air conditioning. Luckily, we put solar panels on, so it's, I feel less guilty, but I, I never put it below 72, although my husband might put it below. You know, you can cool it off without being in a refrigerator. You know, it's just, it's, it's excessive use and it's mindless waste of resources. That's what bothers me the most. So I suspect you too. Well, yeah. And then in the North, uh, when I was in the Navy, I would go over to my friends' houses for studying and we would have parties and do work together. And all the guys were always wearing like flip-flops and shorts and t-shirts in the middle of winter. And in Canada, it gets very cold here. And I would show up with like my toque, which is like a wool hat. I think you guys call them beanies. And like um, wool socks. I'd always wear wool socks all winter and wool sweaters. And I would get there and be like, oh my gosh, like it's so hot in here. It just seemed like kind of unnecessary, you know? Unnecessary waste. That's the worst. Because you know what, yeah. resources our our kids are going to need, and you know that we just mindlessly, you know, kept the air conditioning on, let's say in stores, and then they had the front doors open, and it's hot outside, that kind of thing, which is very American, and you know that that kind of thing really irks me because they think, you know, they can do they can do that, you know, and and they can, you know, it's a free country, but the the there's a cost, there's a cost. Well. Bringing it around to the ancient history that I love so much, uh, the ancient Romans, I'm sure you've heard this, have uh, they used to have systems that would pump water through their walls as like a form of air conditioning. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, they didn't have fossil fuels back then. No, they they'd used what they had. And we should, too. But we shouldn't use more than we need. And that if you get nothing else out there. You know, that, that just that conservation consciousness is so important. And it's fun. I kind of I say, make it like a game. It's like if you're on a diet and you find recipes that are tasty and low fat, whatever, or what low whatever you're not supposed to eat these days, it changes all the time. You know, then you want yeah. to share it, you know, with, with friends or whatever. And it becomes a game like, you know, how can I make this work? How can I make this good? I sort of see it the same way. How can I reduce waste in my home, in my office place, in my you know, synagogue, whatever. And there's, there's no shortage of things you can do, just like there's no sh- shortage of topics on, you know, wa- waste is everywhere. And, you know, our landfills are one issue. That's what I started out being inspired by or motivated by um, or appalled by how the landfills were filling up. But we have so many other issues, warming oceans, plastic pollution, climate change. But what we need is just that, that ethic. We, we're not good environmental stewards. I hope you are better in Canada than we are here. Yeah, we've got some problems. It's just you have 10 times the population. So I think you notice the problems more, like they seem bigger because they are bigger, just more from population, I think. But yeah, I totally agree. I I thought, what is the biggest thing I can do to help the environment? Like three years ago when I was starting the show and I thought, okay, should I go volunteer and help elephants? And I looked into it and then, you know, there's issues with that. Like the elephants maybe aren't kept in good places or they're meant for people to come and volunteer. So it it's a weird thing. Then I looked at maybe going to help save sea turtles, you know, and it seemed a little dangerous in some respects. And then I just realized that it's communication. Like that's the number one thing that we need to do. 
Uh, so what's your website again? So we can uh, check out some of those videos. And Thank you. Thank you. It's Betsy Rosenberg, and that's B-E-T-S-Y, simple spelling, Rosenberg, B-E-R-G at the end, dot com. And there's all kinds of cool stuff. There's video clips. There's some clips of me on Hannity telling him he's a deniosaur, you know, on Fox. I've been on there about 15 times. That's a whole That's a whole other conversation. Are you on like Instagram or are you on Facebook or anything like that? So funny you should ask. Okay, so I've avoided Instagram maybe because my daughter went from Facebook to Instagram to hide from me. I don't know, but I'm fine. I'm just, just signed up for an Instagram course. So I'm starting it right now, but I am on there. I'm just not active. I'm, I'm there under Eco Solutionary, E-C-O. I may or may not start up again under that name, um, but I am on Twitter. And I am bi- really, my biggest platform is Facebook, I guess probably because of my age, but you, you can find me, put me into Facebook and friend me and tell me you were you know, a, Laura, a listener of Laura Nash's and you'll, we'll be friends in no time. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny how there's different demographics on like the different platforms because like TikTok is like the younger one even now. Um, and a lot of people are kind of leaving the other ones and stuff. So I think it's good to have all of those. Uh, it is. I, you know, I just like more. I'd rather play outside than have more screen time. And I just know I get sucked into a vortex with Facebook and spend mm. too much time on it. And I just want to get, I don't, it's like one more thing that's going to, I'm going to become addicted to. Um, Maybe it's my personality, but I really would rather read books or go outside. So I've been resistant, but now that I'm trying to get the attention of network news executives, it won't look so good if I don't have any, you know, Instagram presence. So, okay, I'm doing it begrudgingly and check, check back with me. I'll let you know how I like it. Well, TikTok is super addictive. It's definitely the most <laughs> addictive platform for me anyway, because I like to laugh. So there's so, <laughs> there, so is, there a lot of, is there a lot of humor there? Oh my gosh, yeah. But yeah, healthy environment, healthy people, I think. I here's what mm. I say. There's no there's no good health on a bad planet. You know, personal health equals planetary health equals public health. And I don't think we realize that nearly enough in this country. But I don't know about you. I, they didn't offer environmental studies, you know, per se, when I was growing up. Now they do in high schools and colleges. Um, and, and I'm so glad because who is it? And that's why I feel compelled to continue my Woman on Emission Green Media Quest, because how do adults learn about all this? Most people are not going to. It's all it's all online. It's all there. There's books. There's documentaries. But I think if it's kind of delivered to you in sound bites or easily, you know, if you're in the car listening, whatever, radio is so portable, uh, internet podcasting, whatever, you know, you might learn a lot without having to commit to, you know, hours of reading a book or two hours watching a documentary. And that's why radio or audio and video casting too, you know, are so, you know, engaged with, um, you know, from a listener point of view or a host point of view, again, my, my, my resistance has come from not just wanting to reach the choir, but trying to get on, you know, a broader, bigger platform that reach. I was on, I worked for CBS network. So I was on 400 CBS affiliates back in the late eighties. And people wow. I met long ago, cousins, friends, you know, heard me. So I know the reach that a network can have, but that was just doing news. It didn't seem that impressive to me. Anybody with a nice enough voice can read the news, but this topic this is interesting and this I want to get out there. Yeah. Well, I hope I hope that you get back on TV because that would be great. And it's a demographic, I think, that's a little missing from the environmental conversation. Maybe. I don't have any data to support that, but I think that maybe people who watch a lot of TV, it would it would be helpful. Thank you. Um, no, there's not much out there. There really is not. I mean, there's of course, there's Discovery. Yeah. There's the Nature Channel. But I'm not talking about sort of evergreen, beautifully filmed, you know, documentaries about animals and nature. That's great. But 
most people don't watch those and that is not direct enough. You know, we need, to, we need conversations mm-hmm. that have to be more than two, two minutes, you know, because these things are complex and they're interrelated. But why not? I mean, what's more fascinating? What's more urgent? What better use of mass media channels um, or the World Wide Web than, than saving our gases, getting off our gases and saving our you-know-whats? Um, and it's so urgent. The climate window is closing. So I'm going to do one last round of pitching to these networks. And if they post-COVID still say, you know, they don't want it, it's not relevant, watch out. I'm going to be writing a tell-all book. I'll name names. <laughs> Yeah, wouldn't that be great? That's awesome. Well, it was it was such a pleasure to speak with you, Betsy, about all of this. And it sounds like you've had a great career and it's been challenging. And I love that you just keep plowing through all the challenges and it doesn't stop you and that you go on Fox <laughs> News and you tell them tell them how it is. Thank you, Laura. Um, someone said that I remind them of Elizabeth Warren and I thought, I don't look anything like her. I'm liberal like she is. They said, no, yet she persisted. Yet you persisted, Betsy. I said, yes, I, I guess that's true. Yeah, awesome. Well, Betsy, thank you. It was a pleasure to speak with you. And uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was great. Laura, I totally enjoyed it. I wish we could go on for hours. I'm sure we probably could, you and I. And I we hope probably could. Do it again on your show or maybe my new TV show. And, and I really thank you for what you're doing. And I always end everything with go forth and greenify. <laughs> go forth and greenify. I like it. Awesome. I don't have a tagline. Maybe I should get one. I'll well, think of one. I love taglines. I'll help you. awesome okay well you take care thank Thank you so much Betsy you too stay safe and healthy that was Betsy Rosenberg she was the host of the first syndicated sustainability show on commercial radio EcoTalk Radio she was speaking with us from her home in Texas change starts now this is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast (laughs) 